Ryan, recording? Okay. Guys, we've been talking about the prevailing church, as in a prevailing church is a church that engages, that contends, and that overcomes. A prevailing church is a church that engages, that contends, and overcomes. Engaging who? Engaging the world around you. Not engaging angels or engaging the Holy Spirit, because that happens anyways if you're a people called apart by God. But engaging the world around you. And then prevailing means contending, meaning there are battles to be fought, because contending is involved. Because you can't prevail unless you contend. This is why when uh, Jacob wrestled with um, the angel of God, his name was changed. Why? Because uh, the angel of God says, you have contended with God and man and you have prevailed. Therefore, your name shall not be Jacob, it shall be Israel. So if you want to become a prevailing church, and it's the only kind of church that should exist, because in um, Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Or in other words, I will build my church and this is the kind of church that will prevail against, thanks man, this is, this is the kind of church that will prevail against um, the gates of the enemy. So prevailing church is the only church, only kind of church that Jesus really wanted to build. It's not like we have a choice in this matter. It's not like we are selecting something that will suit us. It is the only option we have. Therefore, it involves being engaged with the world around you. And then the second thing is to contend, which means there will be some battling that needs to happen. And you don't pick your battles. God picks the battles for us because he knows how fit or capable we are. The thing though with this teaching is that I can keep coming up with teachings for the next six or eight months. And so all we'll end up having is information. So one of the things we want to do over the next couple of weeks is, so what does it look like if Acts 29 actually engaged Vancouver? And what if we contended for something difficult here in Vancouver? Till we have a practical example in Jerusalem, we can't go to Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. So there's no problem, there's no point doing this in Abu Dhabi or Dubai or India. It has to be done in Vancouver first. And if it's done in Vancouver, it can't be done by one or two people or the leaders. It has to be the entire church. Because he ain't looking for a prevailing pastor. He's looking for a prevailing church. And therefore, my hope is within the next two weeks, and I've been talking to a couple of guys about this, what is it, oh God, that you can give us that will engage the world in Vancouver? And then, what is it, oh God, that you will allow us to contend for, wrestle for, fight for? And our battle is not against flesh and blood. So how do we battle this? What, what are you going to give us that we can contend for? And then, oh God, how long do we have to persevere so that we overcome? And then, oh God, once we overcome, what are the spoils of war and what do the overcomers get? Because there's that too. Remember, we started on what overcomers get and we never finished that. Every time in the book of Revelation that Jesus says, and to, tho to those that overcome, and then he gives a list of rewards. So there are two rewards that come when you prevail and persevere and prevail. One, you get the spoils of war. You always collect spoils of war. And spoils of war can be souls of men, it can be wealth, it can be anything that God wants you to plunder. And two, there are rewards for overcoming. Look forward to this, guys, because this teaching can go on forever. I got enough material to teach for six months. But what's the point of just keeping on talking about prevailing church if we don't actually have a practical example? And when we have a practical example, then there'll be no one who is left out. Everybody contends then. Each one will have a role, depending on your grace or gift. 
Look forward to it. Pray that we get something solid to do, eh? From God. Because we can't pick up battles. Because we're not battling for our own fiefdoms. This is a kingdom thing. God has to allocate to us the people that we have to draw out. Because at the end of the day, we're in the rescuing business. That's where we hope to go in the future. So today, I just want to start off on, if you're a prevailing church, you must unleash the power of the kingdom. If you're a prevailing church, if you're a church that knows how to engage the world, contend with it, and then overcome it, then you must unleash the power of the kingdom. Because I think it's in 1 Corinthians 14 that God says, hey, by the way, the kingdom of God is not about talk, but it's about power. It's not about eating or drinking, but it's about right standing. It's about joy. It's about power, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost and power. So righteousness as in right standing with God. Peace as in the ability to rest in the midst of a storm. Joy as in the ability to be... uh, the ability to be happy, really. We, we divide happiness and joy so clinically that it loses, both lose its meaning. A joyful people are a happy people, men. And so, uh, and then the last one is power. So today we'll just touch on power. Because Jesus' ministry was made up of two simple things, guys. It was his words and his works. His words and his works. So when he spoke... An event happened. His ministry can be divided into words and works. Jesus' ministry was made up of the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. His proclamation was almost synonymous with the healing and the deliverance. I mean, you look at scriptures in Matthew and you'll see the leper was healed because Jesus said, I'm willing. The lame man walked because Jesus said, arise. The centurion knew that Jesus had only to speak a word. When Jesus said, go, the demons went. Words and works. And what Acts 29 has to learn is when we say this, can this happen? That's what we have to learn. Otherwise, we can say words and nothing will happen. This is why when Rennie came up last week and declared that she will be healed. It was important. Because if God is God and if she's actually trusting in God, then the words must be evidenced in works. And this is not the realm of some pastor or some super apostle or prophet. This must be the realm of the church. Everybody here must do this. Because he's really not after anything else but a people in whose midst he dwells, who he can work through any time of the day, not in a building like this, but in the streets we live in, the spheres we occupy, the status we have in society, and the segments of society we occupy. Everybody from Tate onward to Dagmar. This is how it works, guys. Any questions? Works and words. Questions, thoughts? No? Hong Kong? Okay. So what is the announcement then? If you go to Mark 1, 14 and 15... Mark 1, 14 and 15, one of the things you see Jesus often doing is he often will speak the words first and then the works will follow. And so what was his main announcement and which is sometimes something we miss out on. We talked about this ages ago, but just look at it again. Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. And here's what it says. We'll just touch on the basics today, guys, and then let you go because you guys had a work day too. 
Mark 1, 14 and 15. And here's what it says. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. And here are his words, eh? Proclaiming the good news of the, some versions say God, other versions say proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And here's what he said. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So here's the thing. In If you want the works of God or the power of God to be released, it is essential to proclaim the kingdom. It is essential to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And we'll explain that. It's not very complicated. We've gone over it a few times. It's just that the words sound heavy. Gospel of the kingdom. Or the gospel of the rule of the king. Or the good news of the rule of the king. That's all it is. Every time a people engage in the proclamation of the good news of the rule of a king called Jesus Christ, any time you proclaim it, it is almost inevitable that it will be evidenced by the power of the kingdom. It's almost guaranteed. Huh? You go scripture after scripture after scripture, gospel after gospel after gospel. One thing is very clear. Jacob, every time you tell someone about the good news of the rule of the king, I will back you up with signs, miracles, and wonders. Guaranteed. But what do we do? We leave the proclamation to either paid professionals or clergy or to some super guy. Which is why we don't see what we need to see, but we only see it being done by someone else. And the more the person excels at doing it, the more we call him and the more he's in demand. While the entire church languishes because we don't expect to work this thing out ourselves. And God's creating a shift, eh? Because he's desperately after a people. He's really not after superstars. He's desperately after a people. Give me a people who can evidence the works of the king because of their desire to declare or proclaim the good news of the rule of the king. Now what is the good news of the rule of the king? Not very complicated, guys. It's the story of the life of Jesus, the story of the death of Jesus, the story of the resurrection of Jesus, the story of the ascension of Jesus, the story of the fact that he now lives amongst the people. That is the good news. The good news is there is a king. His name is Jesus. He came, lived, he died, he rose again. He now has ascended. He is ultimate ruler over the entire earth. Oh, and by the way, he lives in my house too. This is the good news. And guys, it is the, I know I said this a couple of weeks ago, it is the only means by which people are rescued. It is the only means by which people are rescued. There is no other means by which people are rescued. You tell them, the story of the good news of this king who came down to the earth, lived, died, rose again, actually is seated above everything, controls everything. And by the way, oh shucks, he lives in me too. And you evidence it by, oh, you know, I had a thyroid problem and my thyroid problems di disappeared. Oh, I had my shaving blade fall off and I stepped over it and found it. This is how the rule of the king is evidenced in your life. And when you do this, it is guaranteed that signs, miracles, and wonders will follow. If you don't believe me, look at Mark 16. Mark 16. 
And here's what it says. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, last verse, 19 onwards. After the Lord Jesus had spoken, or let's go to verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and do what? Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. In this case, he says the gospel. The gospel at the end of the day is the good news of the rule of the king. Guys, it is necessary to hammer this again and again and again and again. Because even when we begin to actually practice what it is to be a prevailing church in Vancouver, this will be an essential part of it. This is our greatest weapon, eh? Why is this our greatest weapon? Because every time you lift up the king, his weight, his splendor, his magnificence, his goodness descends. What at the end of the day is the glory of God? The glory of God is very simple. It's not people falling over. It's not gold dust. The glory of God is very simple. It is the power of God, the goodness of God, the presence of God, and the laughter of God contained in one word, glory. And when that comes, it is the greatest tool of evangelism because nobody can stand the power, the presence, the goodness, and the laughter of God or the joy of God. And every time Christ is lifted up, every time the good news of the rule of the king, his life is death, his resurrection is ascension, and oh, by the way, the fact that he lives in me. Every time you do that, it is impossible for the works of God to be avoided. Impossible. Try this, guys. Try this. Because when you leave here, what's really happening? The church suddenly goes into 20 different places tomorrow morning. We go into 20 different places tomorrow morning. And what are we taking with us? The very things we are talking about. Try this. And then after you try it, look for opportunities for God to step in. Because it says, where's my Bible? Did you take it, Sheldon? Uh, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then it says, these signs will accompany those who uh, believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will sp uh, speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes and with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And I love the next line. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Eh? And then listen to what happens next. Then the disciples went out and look at what they did. Eh? Proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. I'm deliberately putting in the words gospel of the kingdom. And proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. This is the unleashing of the power of the kingdom. Try it. Try it. Even if you are not being healed immediately, try it for someone else and you'll find them getting healed. Do not measure God by whether your sickness is healed. Measure God, actually don't measure God because it's immeasurable. But try this out. It always works. Always works. Look for opportunities where God can show off. Look for opportunities. And at the end of the day, I know we've talked about proclamation, penetration, and progression of the gospel. We won't go there today. We'll just stop with one or two more lines and then we'll break bread and go home. Guys, power is about your ability to obey. Authority is about your responsibility before God. Power is about your ability to obey what God is asking you to do. The moment... I have the ability to obey what God is asking me to do. His power is present. 
So it doesn't matter. Like today, we talked about how the king commanded us to do things. What has the king commanded you? If you step into what the king has commanded you, you will find that the moment you obey, you now have the power required for it because power is the ability to obey what God has. Power is always provided when you have the ability to obey what God wants you to obey. Power is always provided. And power comes with resources too, eh? Power is not just the display of signs, miracles, and wonders. Power is resources too. Every time I obey, I find that the power of God is present because I had the ability to obey. Authority, on the other hand, is your responsibility before God. Authority is about responsibility. Power is about ability to obey. Power is about ability to obey. Authority is about your responsibility before God. If you are responsible before God, you will have authority. At the end of the day, it's very simple. Story after story, parable after parable in the book of Matthew and Luke indicate just one thing. Jacob, if you are faithful in this and you steward this well, I guarantee you I will increase your domain. I will cause it to expand. All expansion of domain comes through one simple thing, stewarding what you presently have. That's it. You never have to look for the limelight. You never have to suck up to anybody. You never have to angle for a position. You never have to jockey for anything. Because it is impossible for a man who is a good steward of what God has placed in his hand at present to be stopped. It is impossible. It's like gravity. It cannot go away. It always happens. Always. If I do what I'm doing at Acts 29 well, the world is my play field. And it is. As simple as that. Any questions? Sharon, God wants to say to you that, um, uh, and when I say this name, don't, don't copy her because she made tons of mistakes and she really messed her life up. I'm only giving you an indication, I'm, I'm calling out this name just so you have an indication of what God wants to do with you. Uh, you've heard of Catherine Kuhlman. Okay, God wants to do with you what he did with Catherine Kuhlman, only he does not want you to end up doing the stuff she did. Because she really messed up. She's held up as a virtuous woman who did stuff, but she went grave-sucking in the end, for all you know. At the end of the day, God wants you to understand who Catherine Kuhlman was and what God wanted to do with her. That is, it's along those lines that God wants to operate through you. So begin to read the book of Mark Begin to find out the mechanisms of healing that Jesus asked us to practice. Begin to read up on Catherine Kuhlman, but read up books that tell you how messed up she was. So that you don't make the same mistakes. Do not imitate her because she didn't imitate Christ in many areas. Do not become a Benny Hinn or anything like that because that isn't where God is taking you. You will not be popular. You will not be famous. No one will know your name. But what he wanted to do through Catherine Kuhlman, he will do through you. That name is just a picture so that you remember it. Joshua, God wants to say to you that um, he will not give you anything easy to do. Everything that comes your way will be difficult just because he knows that that is what you require. So do not expect an easy way through. And every time it is difficult, know that, oh, shucks, God, thank you for putting this difficult thing in my pathway because I was meant to run with horses. I was meant to contend for things. Do not ask for anything simple. Become like Gideon's 300 who lap up the water. Do not, do not drink out of a glass. You weren't meant for that. So 
when you are told to walk somewhere, it'll be carve out a path in the wilderness. When you're told to open a door, there is no door there. There's a blooming wall. But every time that happens, don't look at it as God has abandoned me. How come he isn't answering my prayer? Remember what God said. Son, this is who I created you to be. To make pathways where there are no pathways. To make doors where there are no doors. So don't expect things to be easy. But your rewards will be far greater than anyone else. Why is he doing this? So that a day will come where you'll be tough enough to take on much larger Goliaths than the rest of us. Keep that in mind. And Navina, God wants to say to you that there's a frustration or a restlessness that is growing in you because you're not satisfied with what you have. And rightly so, it's a godly frustration. It's not that you're not doing Christian things, but you know there is more than this. And God is saying, I'm going to open the doors for you. And it won't happen to anybody else in your family first. It will happen to you first. Where this restlessness, this frustration of, I'm doing so many godly things. So many people are getting saved. But there is more than this. And God is saying, absolutely. And keep going down this path because this restlessness will not be quenched till you take a step where you begin to, you know, one of the things God wants to do with you is to bring, raise people up in firm discipline. Firm discipline. You have the ability to smile and stab people at the same time. I meant that in a nice way. And God wants you to be a, that kind of a person who, who raises people up with firm discipline. And God is going to create opportunities for that. Instruction where horses are trained to run in firm discipline. And so don't worry if what Manny is doing and you are doing don't now... Uh, gel together always. Manny will do his thing, you will do your thing. It isn't as if there's something wrong with that. You guys have been running together for a while and God is saying, I'm going to create a separate track for you and Manny will run a separate track and then later on it'll meet again because I've got to take that restlessness away, says God. Okay guys, let's break bread. We'll do the rest later.